Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Eve Rodsky is the author of Fair Play, a New York Times best-selling book that offers a system for couples seeking balance, efficiency, and peace in their lives. The book was born of her work advising families and charitable foundations, and she realized that her expertise in family mediation and organizational management could be applied to a problem closer to home. Her new book, Unicorn Space, is about the active and open pursuit of creative self-expression in any form that makes you uniquely you. Eve lives in LA with her husband and three children, and we are so happy to have Eve with us on the Puberty Podcast. Hi! Hi. <laughs> so good to see you. She did jazz hands while jazz she hands. said hi. Yes, and I'm we're just, together. I mean, it's just a dream. It's we're so together fun. in person. So that was like the formal intro, the formal bio, but I want to get a little bit informal. Fair Play is about rebalancing the domestic workload. Unicorn Space is about finding out who you are and finding expression in that. Talk us through, what does that look like in the day-to-day? What does that look like for you? What is the urgency in finding both of those things? Rebalancing domestic workload and self-expression. Well, I mean, if you look at just the science, it's the key to our mental health 
and our longevity. I mean, we're in a very burnt out place right now. As my friend Greg McEwen says, there's only people who are burnt out and those who know they're burnt out. And when you think about that, what type of life do we want to be living? Do we want to be living a life where we know what makes us come alive or a life that most people reported to me in my research for fair play and unicorn space, which is overwhelmed and bored. What a terrible combination. Oh my God. Overwhelmed and bored. And so the way I look at this is for so long, especially for women or marginalized populations, you know, we have a very long to-do list. The through line of these two books is that as a society, we view and value men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds. And we treat and we sort of throw away women's time as if it's infinite, like sand. We know that in many different ways. We know that when women enter a male profession, the salaries automatically go down. Uh, Pediatricians make less than surgeons because women enter that profession. We know we say things in society like breastfeeding is free when it's really 1,800 hours a year. It's a full-time job. But I think the hardest part for me was watching women devalue their own time. Literally, time is our most valuable currency in a burned out world. And from birth, we've been taught to give it away from, for free. When you talk about burnout in the context of adolescence, right? Our teenagers, our tweens are burnt out already and they haven't even reached adulthood. And there's tons of data about anxiety and depression, suicidality. I mean, the list goes on and on. What I'd love to do is take the concept of unicorn space and think about it and apply it to our tweens and teens. Because you talk about in the book, the importance for people's emotional well-being in finding unicorn space, how it helps you become a happier person. So ground us in that data and that background, and then we can dive in. It's actually a great question, way to direct this this conversation, because I don't usually get to get to, into this part um, as quickly, but I love that you keep bringing me back to the data. So we'll nerd out a little bit. Um, <laughs> I became obsessed with positive psychology because I didn't really understand it. So I immersed myself in some happiness labs, along with 12 other expert disciplines, <laughs> uh, including law, you know, science, uh, behavioral economics, neuroscience. But what's interesting about positive psychology is that we seem to have misnamed it or misunderstood it, where people are actually looking to be happy. And you've talked about that before, this, you know, this idea, well, I just want my children to be happy, right? So that's actually the wrong place to put happiness. What the research shows us is that happiness is actually really important, but not as the end goal. If you pursue happiness or you ask your children to pursue happiness, or you try to pursue happiness on behalf of those tweens and teens, they actually become more sad. And that's because happiness is really a clue. That's where we need to put it in that pocket of our purse (laughs) or whatever we're carrying, our messenger bag, because- Our fanny pack. Our fanny pack. I like fanny packs these days, or in the pocket of my robe that I wear as a coat that Kara- <laughs> Or stuff it into your bra. Always, yes, or into your bra. <laughs> Up um, to sleeve yeah, the, with my tissues. The New York purse is our bras. Um, <laughs> but that's where it should live. 
happiness should live as a clue, just as much as jealousy should live as a clue, just as much as sadness should live as a clue. But happiness is a way to say, oh, wow, I'm doing that. And I felt really happy when I was doing that. The time flew past, um, an hour passed. That's a flow state. Lots of pale and male men are the ones who sort of co-opted creativity and and productivity. So I think it's a little bit different when you're talking about women or girls or even teens and tweens who are raised in these very um, intense cultures. But I will say that happiness and the intersection of meaning is what the data shows. So we know that happiness devoid of meaning is something that often teens and tweens will pursue. That's called hedonic well-being. And we get that. I mean, I did on the streets of New York, right? From doing lines of coke and through seeking out high-risk behaviors. I sat in on, I dr- jumped on train tracks and we'd miss the third rail. I mean, I did crazy shit, you know, crazy shit in New York in Eve, the you're 90s. you're stressing me out hey, just listening. Well, and you're yeah. not even the pediatrician. Having I'm having a like a, yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about like risk assessment. Um, you know, just that's hedonic well-being um, or not even well-being. That's just hedonic living. Living. And then you have meaning without happiness. And that's often where we end up, especially as women, parents, partners, and our professionals, we end up with a lot of meaning, existential meaning in raising those teens and tweens. But there's not a lot of happiness, right? I I don't feel happy in the day-to-day of raising my kids. I mean, I got donkey kicked in the face by my toddler this morning. I was like, I am not happy right now. But it is meaningful. But what happens when you sit at the intersection of meaning and purpose? It doesn't mean life is freaking great. Doesn't mean we're not, you know, we're we're always happy all the time, which I I think sometimes parents mistake for what they want from their teens and tweens. There is rain. And I'm not a big inspirational quotes person, but that Vivian Green quote, right? Life is not waiting for the storm to pass. Mm -hmm. It's about learning to dance in the rain. There is rain, but we have to empower our teens and tweens to have their umbrellas. And it can't be hedonic well-being because that's where they're going to go mm-hmm. if we don't allow them that intersection of meaning and happiness. And so much about of what we talk about on this podcast is modeling for your tweens and teens, for the kids in your lives, who they can be and how they can be based upon who you are and how you are. And so for adults to understand putting on their own life preserver first and going ahead and living life at the intersection of both happiness and meaning becomes really, really important. You're a mom, you have three kids. Your oldest is 13. Yes. So walk us through a little bit more granularly, taking a 13-year-old who's just really in the thick of it and the throes of it, of hormonal fluctuations, of social fluctuations, learning new systems through new schools, coming out of a pandemic, all of it, the whole mess of it. How do we parent those kids and guide them to that intersection when all they want to do is individuate? It's such a great question. I mean, to me, the roadmap, my daughter, Anna, she's five. She's obsessed with drawing treasure maps. It's like the weirdest thing ever. She has maybe a hundred treasure maps in a folder. And I was like, what is going on here? What is this weird metaphor, Kara? You can talk to me about that (laughs) another time. But what I think is the through line and what maybe um, we can talk about is, is the framework of what Find Your Unicorn Space became because it was a 
universal framework, or at least universal in the 17 countries I was able to interview people in and in the books and in disciplines. And what really the three things were that allow you to, at least in my experience, to allow a child to individuate, but also to remind them of other things other than hedonic well-being, or at least the idea of making your leisure time more nutritious, right? Scrolling TikTok for hours and hours is not nutritious leisure time for kids, is values-based curiosity, connection, and completion. Those three things are were the through line in creative people. And why I like the word curiosity so much more than I like the word passion is passion feels like too much pressure. It so is. It's an assignment. You know, it's, it's just like, what's my passion? I was watching your brother's movie, Sing Again, Sing One, before we we're going to go see Sing Two. And one of the, the my favorite characters is like, I don't know, my parents got me a life coach because I'm supposed to like figure out what my passion <laughs> is. Like, I thought I knew what my passion and purpose were, but I guess I don't. And so it's just, it's too much pressure. Yeah. But, you know, curiosities can change. And so what one of a mother friend said to me when I was trying to encourage her to reclaim her time and find her curiosities. She said she's been in such a passion gap for so long or curiosity gap for so long that she said, you know, the only curiosity I have is for scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions. And I was like, what? I didn't even know you could do that. I never understand what why people hell? make them public. It's, it's so weird. Fascinating. So yeah, so after she, she said that to me in the research. hits going. Yeah, it was uh, like, totally. and you're like, oh, I gotta go into ago. my setting. <laughs> yes, and so I was like, I'm going to now. And I was like, oh, these people love sushi and dog walking. <laughs> um, or at least the people in my life, which are like not even friends. or just like, I have no idea how I get to see that. Like, whatever. Um, so... I think curiosity can also be triggering, but I think the teen and tween phase, not as much, right? Not as much as a woman like me who was sort of broken down <laughs> and beaten by sort of excitable expectations, right? Lying on the floor over a text my husband sent me that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries, right? That's That breakdown, that blueberries breakdown is what I needed to build myself up. But I think at the teen and tween phase, that intersection can come first with the values-based curiosity. And what do I mean by values-based it means that it's really important to revisit your values every year. It's a practice that is almost as crucial as exercise. And we don't do it. We don't sit in our values. We don't ask ourselves our values. We don't revisit those values. We assume everybody knows what they are. But when I started philanthropic advising, you know, years ago, 10 years ago, I started my own firm when I was forced out of the workforce. And one of the specialties I have come to do is succession. So I always say, like, I work for families that look like the HBO show Succession. And, you know, you should feel bad for me. You know, family business, it's hard. <laughs> but in that course of working with these families, often I would sit down with a patriarch or a matriarch first, right? Someone who who was the first generation b who built their business. And I would say, like, you know, I'm here to talk about succession. This was early on in my practice. And most of these people would say a version of, well, I'm not going to die. I don't even know why you're here. So you're similar like, to a I've teen and tween. For you. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but, but our teens and tweens do that too. They say things that can really shut down conversation. a conversation. Yeah, right? Very effectively. Very effectively. And then it's hard to re-enter a conversation if something's been completely shut down. And so what I started to do with these 
people who shut me down were, were asked different questions. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like, what is your active legacy? What do you do now that brings, you know, you curiosity? What are your values? Tell me stories about those. Here are some cards we can go through. It became a much more effective exercise to understand our core values and actually understand our values that we don't, we don't value. And to learn that you have to reframe questions for your audience, right? You know that you want to get to a certain set of responses, but asking it in a certain way is often not going to get you where you want. It's the same thing with our kids, right? If I ask my kid, you did your homework, right? Or like, (laughs) what'd you get on that test? Or what did you do wrong to get that grade? That's going to shut down. It's going to make them feel judged and shamed and all of those things. But if I say to them, how'd it go? What'd you think? What would you do differently? Did that feel like the result you wanted? Were you happy with how you prepared, right? It's all about how you frame it. The same thing with values. Like how do we approach our skeptical, cynical, individuating tweens and teens? Like we can't say to them, hey dude, what are your three core values? Because they'll laugh in you our can, face and, then, <laughs> and they'll walk out. So how would you reframe that for that age group? Because it's critical and it's what's going to keep them afloat in the years where they're at sea. Apps 100%. And I think, I mean, I love to gamify things, as you know. So there's a values bingo in Find Your Unicorn Space. I meant space. to print it out it's and fun. I forgot to It's fun. It I remember during the audiobook there were the sound engineer was like, do you want to read out all these hundred <laughs> values you have here? And I was like, sure, I'll try it. Um, I think we're going to end up just linking to them because it was a I long I was like, list. how are you going to make them all sound interesting? Yes. <laughs> um, but I think for any time in your life, when you hear about passion or purpose or, you know, it's typically creativity, we're often asked to think back to when we were kids. But mm. as we know with, especially with teens and tweens in this generation, I don't know, I just told you, I was like sitting in the Amtrak train, you know, in, in an abandoned train in the Bronx. Like that's where I didn't, I can't really think back and think, oh, what was I back then? Or I don't want to be back then. Or they were sitting at home for two years. Correct. It's just, it's not, to me, it's not the helpful framework to look backwards. Or they look back on toddler years. Right. Not helpful. Not helpful. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to grow past what I like to do when I was three, right? I think when I was in third grade on my board, it didn't say like gender division of labor specialist. It said... <laughs> Like veterinarian or something, I don't know. <laughs> but th- so the idea of, of being able to move forward. So the gamification works. Zach is a great beta tester for me. So we talk. Your 13-year-old. My 13-year-old, a lot about values. And we play games. Um, we did like a reverse newlywed game where he looked at the values list. And I said, can you pick, what do you think my values oh, that's are? brilliant. And I want to pick what I think yours are. And then- um, I picked one intentionally that was I didn't think was his value. And he was like, I don't, you know, I, I don't value excellence, you know, or whatever. You're like, he's like, what the yeah, hell's wrong with you, exactly. Mom? And I was like, Don't oh, you know yeah. me at all? I was like, but yeah, he's like, I don't, that's excellence. He's like, I mean, I don't think about things in terms. So, you know, he was able to be triggered by some of these. So that was really fun. The other more provocative thing, I think, is an interesting way to bring up values is through pop culture. And I remember I read this book about how to raise a feminist son. And this beautiful author was talking about putting her and her son in in different movies, um, settings, and discussing things. We do a lot through um, 90s hip hop. Zach and I were just listening to like the Slick Rick album. And one of the songs is a fundamental song about rape. 
It just is. It's, there's no consent. It's called Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. And so understanding the context of, of Black urban reality and hip hop, and that that's important. Um, and we talk a lot about that. Davy, Davy Crockett, King, King of the, the Wild, Wild Frontier. Frontier. And so if you look at the lyrics, it's it's not it's not clearly a song I didn't. <laughs> right. And so, but going through that and talking through, you know, this is not my value system anymore. I really do love, you know, this musician, this artist, and he had his own context, but this is something that really bothers me. And it's because I really value gender justice. And even though this is just a song about rape and not consent, basically, you know, it's it's not so, you know, so we get into these really interesting provocative conversations through pop culture. But I think the gamification of the values is an easy way to do that if you don't really want to be talking about it. It's a really elegant way and fun. But okay, but values, there are values and there are values, right? So there are sort of core values that make a person who they are in terms of their fundamental beliefs. And then there are these things that I think also fall under the umbrella of values that shift and change. So especially through the tween and teen years, but even in adulthood, you know, you talk about your own personal evolution and, you know, in Fair Play, you talk a lot about sort of those low moments and and how how you needed those low moments to shift your perspective. So how does having a shifting value system or shifting interests impact all of this? Well, it's such a great question because what, I, again, back to the values-based curiosity, what I saw about these, you know, 17 countries, people who were living or at least identified at some points, they were having the umbrella through the rain of living in that intersection of meaning and happiness had some core values that went through their lives. Like for me, even when I was an M&A attorney, because I had to pay back my loans, Kara, justice and community have always been a big part of my life. I remember how hard law school was for me because I actually felt cultivating a community of friends was as important as studying. And I remember thinking, I have two jobs and this is so hard. So justice and community have always been there. And um, I'm really highlighting them again this year, especially as I encourage other people to find their own intersection of talents, interests, and gifts that make them them. But I think there are some that do change. And for me, for a long time, the Jewish value, a specifically Jewish value of obligation was a value that ruled my life. It was an obligation to be at every single extended family's bar mitzvah. My cousin is still dealing with that. She was crying yesterday. She couldn't, she went to a shiva, but every, you know, half the population wasn't vaccinated. And so I said, you don't have to go in there. But this obligation was driving. It was actually really hurting my relationship with Seth because we'd spend like eight hours on the weekends going to family things. I also felt obligated to wipe the asses and do the dishes for my family, which is a lot of the metaphor for fair play. And so I do think part of the exercise and what Zach and I went through was not just looking at those top values. It was looking at the ones at the bottom, because sometimes those at the bottom can tell you the most about yourself. Either they trigger you because like obligation, they were ones that used to rule your life or they're ones that you never cared about. And there are some, like if I look at a bottom value for me, freedom is one that's really triggering now because I feel like freedom has been co-opted by a certain subset to mean something that doesn't feel free to me um, as somebody who doesn't have the white Christian male privilege in this country. So I think it's a really fun exercise. You know, do it yearly. You could do it daily. It's a fun way to get back to that type of curiosity. Well, what I like about it is it gets to one of our fundamental sort of tenants on the podcast, which is like, ask your kids, 
Instead of telling your kids, like ask them, engage with them, give them a sense of humor about who you are as their parent, instead of assuming like it's all serious and the values are serious. And like, I'm going to tell you what our family values are, as opposed to, hey, mom, I'm going to tell you what I think of you and I'm going to choose your values. So I really, I really like that. I want to get back to something you said about wiping your kids' asses. (laughs) I knew you were going back there. How did you know? You know, if it's not vaginal discharge, it's wiping kids' asses. <laughs> totally. It's in the neighborhood. So there's a part of unicorn space, which is about how important it is for mothers, and I use mothers specifically here, to find their own unicorn space so that they can be better partners, parents, members of a family. Can you talk about why that's so important and why only doing for our families actually does everyone a disservice. Well, again, it's what we started with, this idea that time is a currency. In a capitalist patriarchy, you know, it's it's our most important currency. And we literally, we give it away. As we said earlier, we give it away to our families first. We give it away to our jobs, you know. And then what happens is we end up in the, in this, these roles, um, I actually was writing out a commencement speech for, it got canceled during COVID for 21-year-old girls. And it was called, it's going to be funny, I promise, but it was called, You Only Have 10 Years Left to Live because- Mm, Sounds hilarious. (laughs) And it is because I think what we all can picture is some version of an earlier version of ourselves, right? 21-year-old Eve was going to be president and senator because you could do both at the same time. Duh. Um, it's not <laughs> really in the, in the Constitution. Yeah, that says you can't do both. And legislators, they're so, you know, they're lazy. They like adjourn at three. So you can do all your executive orders at night, but I'm not going to give up my dream of being a Nick City dancer. Um, so what can I do? I can fly Air Force One in for the 1230 game on Saturdays and then just take it back to D.C. Like, that won't be a problem, Are right? there still Nick City dancers? Yes. They still yes, exist? Yes. Are you auditioning? I did. I got through round one, but then I I got cut because my turns. I was going to say, you can't turn. I cannot turn. You'll you'll appreciate um, I'm learning. learning. I'm relearning. Turn. Turning is really important. If you look, if you watch West Side Story or anything out there, you'll see um, pay the attention metaphor, to the turns. The metaphor there. So just for listeners who haven't yet read Unicorn Space, Eve talks about, rediscovering her love of dance inspired by the 90s show in Living Color, <laughs> which featured Jennifer Lopez. It did. J-Lo. It did. And she talks about her not yet ability to turn when dancing and how important it was and how monumental it has been that you learn to turn. So the metaphor of learning to turn is super powerful, right? To pivot, to redirect, all of those things. And to learn to turn when we parent our teenagers and our kids going through puberty, which is so hard. It is so, so, so hard when they're screaming at us, when they're crying, when they shut the door in our face. So what what does learning to turn look like in a home where you have an, an emotionally labile kid who's feeling pretty crummy? How do you like promise them, how do you pivot and how do you promise them they will eventually learn to turn or not? Well, that's the, that metaphor. I mean, we're using a lot of metaphors, but I think the, the fact that we are dancing in the rain. I mean, that is, 
life is, is not, it's not easy. It's actually really, really hard. And again, this idea, this, this fundamental idea that we are wishing happiness for our kids feels like such a disservice for me, which I, what I wish for my kids is that the trifecta we just talked about, how you learn to turn is a combination of staying curious, having real connections. And what I mean by that is spiritual friendships. Um, you've talked about that before. The idea of real friendships, they change as you get older. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't look back actually at 13 and say I had any real friendships then. Um, but the idea that one day you will um, is a very exciting idea. Um, and can if you can you cultivate define, those earlier. Can you define in your mind what makes up a real friend, a spiritual friend? You have two different kinds of spiritual friend. And I feel like for people listening, it it could be a really grounding way. And also for their kids to talk to their kids about what a spiritual friend is. Absolutely. So the good news is we did one practical thing for curiosity, which is revisit your values, you know, whether it's through the values checklist or any, how you, however you want to do it, the real practical way to think about this piece of connection, because we did curiosity, this, we're in connection now, is looking and thinking about what a spiritual friend is. And what a spiritual friend is, according to my rabbi, who inspired that term was somebody who wakes you up from a slumber or who is either alongside with you on your journey or who really genuinely supports you on your journey. So much of what happens to us, and this is Sandy Zimmerman. I love her story. I, Vanessa, you're my favorite story in the book. But second favorite story is Sandy. Well, one, I'd say maybe, yeah, she's tied for a second, is this amazing single mom. Then she ended up getting married. She ended up being a PE teacher. And then she was in foster care. And then she ended up being the oldest mother to ring the red buzzer on American Ninja Warrior. So cool. And going from a PE teacher to American Ninja Warrior, she said something really important to me, which about spiritual friends. Most dreams, she said, are delicate dreams. They are delicate dreams, right? There are things that are hard to share with people because maybe they sound, especially for women or girls, like, you know, maybe too ambitious. I want to, you know run the world one day or, you know, you can't do that. You need to be a mother or whatever it is. But these really very delicate dream, especially for, for young girls or women and who you share them with actually really matters. And so not all friendships are created equal. And I think that's an important thing to explain to our kids. It doesn't mean you only have to have best friends. Like that's a great kid to play basketball with and he pushes you here. But having a few core people, and I would say, you know, Kara and Vanessa, you are spiritual friends in that category of going on the journey together. That's a very, very powerful spiritual friend because it leads to the third C, which is the hardest for teens and tweens. Um, and we know that from all the research, your books, and from How to Raise an Adult, Julie Lithcott-Hames, who I love, Completion. How do you end up living not, as my friend Amanda says, in a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams? Oh, my God, that line <laughs> kills me. She said her GoDaddy account is her graveyard of unfulfilled dreams because all of her, every year she sees all the businesses she <laughs> was supposed to start that she didn't. But I think completion is so hard because in this culture, we've exchanged it for perfection. We've exchanged it for extrinsic milestones that people don't even want to freaking complete because they don't know why they're completing it. Why are they getting A's? Why are they on this team. I mean, it's it's so sad to me about completion because completion is so triggering because a lot of kids, teens and tweens, and they talk to me about this, are trying to complete their parents' dreams. And that is just fundamentally not okay. 
If you can't separate your own dreams from your kids, that is a fundamentally not okay. And then you need to read this book and figure out what your passion and purpose is through the curiosity connection completion framework because it's not fair to put it on your children. And and I would say along those same lines of thinking that your child is not your spiritual friend. Yes. Say that 17 yes, times. Such please. an important point. Right. Because, you know, those those two concepts wedded together are so fundamental to both the parent and the child. The idea that you are separate beings, that one is in charge of safety and health, and that the other is in charge of growing up. That is the job. And the spiritual friendship piece is fascinating as you describe it, as you're sort of downloading the thoughts, because having a 16 and an 18-year-old in my home, for Vanessa, having kids ranging from 11 to 19 now, 20? 19 19. and two weeks. 19 and two weeks. For you having kids on the younger end, it's not that we want to devalue the friendships they have. You have to try on a lot of friendships before you can find the right fits. And so there will be people who are listening whose soulmate is someone they met at three, Mm -hmm. right? But there will be people who had to try on a whole lot of relationships before they could get there. But your child is not that person. No, and you, you guys are for me. I mean, I don't know Vanessa that long or Kara, I met you even more recent, but you are spiritual friends. Um, and sometimes the people actually who've been in your life the longest are not. Right. And there's, it doesn't mean- It's history. You can't confuse history with, with spiritual friendship. I think that's, that's right. a really important piece because remember, spiritual friends are people that you really can share your delicate dreams with. And for me, you know, I, I remember on the journey to Fair Play, there were people who said to me, nobody wants a book about housework and chores. I mean, childcare, like that. Nobody wants a book about boy puberty Right, either. exactly, right. Yeah. It sounds super 100%. boring or, you know, um, why are you spending your time on that? I mean, there are 100% were people who I have history with, who I still love, who brought me that type of sentiment. And then there were a ton of others who brought me a sentiment of, you need to do this. This is interesting and unique. And I think there's something here. And so, you know, not getting squashed by those other people, but really listening and then remembering and staying true to the power that you deserve. And this happens, I think, in teen years and especially with women. This is where the thing that I think is the hardest for both of those groups, those demographic groups, is this permission to be unavailable from your roles. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere, so we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. 
Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at bioptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. 
Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal, and even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter, and fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Life is all about those pivotal moments, those big life changes when we ask ourselves, why didn't somebody tell me this? I'm TV host and journalist, Abby Huntsman. My best pal, comedy writer, and media producer, Lauren Leeds, and I are going to bring you conversations with some of the most impactful people of our time to learn their life lessons. We'll pull back the curtain on their biggest transitions, how their reality is probably far less perfect than it might appear. And of course, what they wish somebody had told them back when. Check out I Wish Somebody Told Me anywhere you listen to podcasts. We release new episodes every week. Our kids are living at a time when there are so many shoulds. There's so So many, many shoulds about who they should be and what they should do and what their resume should look like and what their, this is a new one. You guys may have heard this, (laughs) what their story should be for college applications. Oh, that is not new. That is just increasingly annoying. And I'm like, what What do you mean their story? They're just begun. It's just begun. It is. That's right. So talk about unloading these these commitments these shoulds like what is that i i there's something in the book and i and i absolutely love it i'm going to read it it's a list of questions that you have and it, you say what's intrinsically valuable and most meaningful in my life what do i want to keep do differently let go of entirely what brings me joy and how can doing my thing foster a deeper connection with myself and by extension, the world around me. How do we translate those questions for our kids? Because that is inherently what we want them to learn. Without losing the shoulds of the the stuff they got to do around the house. I mean, they should, my kids should feed the dog. Oh, those I, shoulds right? are not oh, yeah. going those anywhere. So no, those no, shoods no. are not yes, going anywhere. How we keep a list of 100%. It's the, it's the shoulds of yes. the extrinsic motivation. But by the way, the protection from the shit is why we're in the shit in the first place. Correct. I mean, that, that again, what what is a life of being protected from having to do hard things? Right, correct. I mean, so I think what's so interesting about those questions is that they're not at odds with the idea of rigor as a concept. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I think resilience has been overused or, you know, even grit has been overused. Yes. And so it almost becomes like a commodified story, like you have to have some resilience or grit. But I think when you think about 
rigor. I almost like that word more because things are not easy. Writing a book's not easy. Producing a podcast is not easy. You have to do a lot of things to get it out in the world. You have to be a, afraid and, and get over the fear that even if it's not perfect, your guests didn't say the right thing, that it's produced enough to actually share it. That we have a good editor. Right, you have a good editor. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Brian. You, Brian. <laughs> we love you, Brian. We wanted to say your name on this. <laughs> that you um, you feel confident enough from what you shared that when you get pushed back, you can still stand firm in your power. I mean, these are skill sets that are are not easy, but that rigor also translates to why Unicorn Space is a sequel. It wasn't the beginning. I don't want to start with these, you know, fundamentally kid-centric ideas of their curiosity, connection, and completion. Like what they should be doing first is learning how to take period stains out of underwear. Like that's that's what Ben, Ben is a expert at blood stains. He's nine. We talk a lot about how do you take stains out. He does our laundry from start to finish. But that's that's part of understanding rigor that, you know, and we talk about this with NASA astronauts. There's this one woman I love who talks about NASA astronauts that you think they're just like floating and skipping in space. These people are sleeping upright in closets. They're scrubbing toilets. They're emptying latrines into space. And they've busted their asses for like and, decades. And they busted their asses for decades, right? You don't just travel into space. So I think when you skip those steps, it's hard. And I do think that the extrinsic has become so, mm-hmm. so the the voice, and, and this is how I feel, again, for the populations of tweens and women. They actually, again, overlap in this way. The bigger our milestones get, extrinsic milestones, the smaller we have to get to fit them. I just want to shine a light on your incredible ability through all of your writing and your speaking to make lists of things that most people don't account for. You are so good at shining a light on the series of steps that people need to take that either sound boring and so no one else right, listens, else right? <laughs> like you, no you one cared about rigor. It. I was like, no, that's yeah, important. You no, no, rigor's it. good. You say it in such an articulate way or or the, the flip side, which is that people, they blow it off because if you actually stop and think about the list of whatever it is and you do it repeatedly in your work, that the, the effort in is just, it's too much and the hill so is too overwhelming. steep. Mm-hmm. And so people don't mm-hmm. want to acknowledge it. So they stuff it down. And I just, I don't want to interrupt the flow of conversation, but I just want to say it's fabulous to have someone just put a little microscope on that and blow it up and just say, hey, we all should acknowledge the effort in on all of this. Thank you. This. Thank so you. So speaking of lists, <laughs> In unicorn space, I love lists. you have, they're so satisfying. <laughs> they're so satisfying. And they're so, so organized. Even lists are not systems. Lists are not systems. And they're systems. so structured. Okay. In the book, you have a series of conversation don'ts, right? It's in the context of tone and how we communicate. And we had Wendy Mogul on um, to love talk her. about, she was incredible, to talk about Voice Lessons, her most recent book, which is all about how to communicate with kids tone, approach, all of those things. And it was like completely life-changing for for me. So we're bought in on how important communication is. Your husband says, <laughs> you are the human equivalent of nails on a chalkboard. I can't believe he's still alive. Like, I can't believe he said that to you and he's still breathing. 
However, his point is critical, which is communication is key, right? So in the book, you have conversation don'ts. And I think the intention initially is about partners between domestic partners. However, when I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is a perfect guide for people caring for tweens and teens. So I'm going to... I, I do every one of the things <laughs> on this list. I'm just saying. Okay. I want to I read. I'm going to read the please, list. Please, We'll react then, to them. Or I can read each one and then you can react. I think read them all and then okay. we'll react to okay. them. Because I you want to choose which ones well, you want. Well, no, I also think they weave together. So, so we should give people the context and then we'll actually go in. Why? And also, it's strange, right? People ask me, why do you have two chapters on communication in a book about creativity? incredibly important to be able to ask for what you need at any stage of your life. It's actually probably the most important step to getting to a creative life. So that's why they're in there. Okay. I never questioned why you had two chapters on communication. (laughs) Just saying. Okay. Conversation don'ts. Don't walk out when someone else is speaking. Has that ever happened (laughs) to you guys? Metaphorically and physically many, many, many times. Uh, Yeah. Because it could be literally walking out or it could be them getting on their phones. the phone. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a walk out yeah, for sure. And, and then we do it as well. 100%. In, in response, we, totally. we learn the behavior. That's uh, what I'm Yeah, I do it I'm a lot less with. than everyone else in my house. I'm just saying. <laughs> so that's um, not your vulnerability, which is good. That's okay. not my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't. Oh, this might be related to me. Hijack the conversation <laughs> by interrupting going off topic or changing course. I am queen of going off topic. <laughs> like I get, I win the gold. By the way, that's called threading. Some people thread really deep and that sounds like a porn film. I but was going to say that <laughs> sounds <laughs> like a sexual act. <laughs> and that's fine. That is actually a part of our conversation operating system. And you just need consent for that. Again, sounds like a porn film. <laughs> but if you're going to thread deep and off, I sometimes will get, ask for consent. Which Can means, I go off topic right now and go really bizarre into a story? Which means you acknowledge you that acknowledge you are going okay. to you have go to. Topic. Yes, that's yeah. how you do it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good to know. <laughs> Another conversation don't. Don't check in when you're distracted or multitasking. So if you're, for instance, Just right, put down the phone. Put down the phone. Yeah. If your kid is upset, don't also do X, Y, or Z, um, like checking Instagram. Yeah, if you're trying to check in with somebody, then really check in Really with check them. in. Okay. This is one of my favorites. This is like my guiding principle. Mary Pat and I basically quote you like <laughs> every 14 seconds with this one. Don't engage when emotion is high and cognition is low. I need you to talk more about that one. That also is something I probably should tattoo um, on my it's arm. It's on my ass, yeah, on right? my ass. Um, <laughs> I think it's easier to get on, wait for it. It's a smaller one. Wait for it, wait, wait for it, wait for it. It becomes almost like a religious thing that I say to myself in my head because the irony of all these vulnerabilities we're talking about, and we'll keep talking about more don'ts, is that most of them in my research now, 10 years of really stu- not only studying people who study communication, like Professor Daniel Carlson in Utah but and Wendy Mogul, but actually understanding it from the data is that most of our vulnerabilities happen because we're giving feedback in the moment. We don't have enough accountability and trust in our relationships to know that we can return to the table at another time. That's the importance of 
these scheduled check-ins. So we have to get it off our chest. And that is incredibly toxic because not only is it toxic in the moment, like when I screamed at Zach back to the nails on the chalkboard recently and said, you're just mediocre, you know? Why am I raising a mediocre child? And he's like, your emotion is high, your cognition is low. I'm like, I stop saying that. Like, you're just mediocre. Don't quote your And it's always, what I realize is he and I always, I always say the most toxic, I'm a verbal assassin plus tone, tone, nails on the chalkboard. Those are my vulnerabilities. I say the most toxic things to him and I have to repair afterwards, as we t- you talk about, because it's always the trigger of him not being ready in time. So I'm always late, so I don't have the time to get other people ready. So I'm already running 15 minutes late, and then he's flopping around, doesn't know where his shoes are. We're late for an important event. Um, this one was a temple, and I this is was a very, it his own bar mitzvah? No, thank God. <laughs> but it was a friend who was pretty serious about you know she's. She's someone who doesn't have as much humor. She's a spiritual friend for other things, but lack of humor. So the idea of being late would be really hard for her. And so I was screaming that Zach is mediocre. So is he really mediocre because he can find his shoes? No, but that's what comes out when we're giving feedback in the moment. So that's why the wait for it is such an important thing. The feedback in the moment is so highly toxic and it requires so much repair. And then we get this whole guilt and shame spiral because- We And then the other side of why this one we're stuck on or why we're spending more time on emotion is high cognition is low. The other problem is what Professor Dan Ariely talks about. He's a friend and behavioral economist. And he says, not only do you have to repair because things are toxic when you give feedback in the moment when emotion is high and cognition is low, but there's emotional cascades, meaning you can say things. So I could have said you're mediocre and we're not going to see Christmas Carol tomorrow. That's it. And then what ends up happening is, do you have to go back and say, yes, we're going to go to Christmas Carol? Or do you have to stick your feet in the mud now and ruin your whole day the next day because you had this decision and emotional cascade during the moment? But I I want to make sure to clarify that just because wait for it, wait for it, wait for it is the mantra. It doesn't mean never say it, never do it. Correct, (laughs) correct. That would be avoidance. But what would you you say, Eve? Which is highly toxic too. Right, we're not avoiding and we're not never addressing it. But like, what would it sound like when emotion had come back down and cognition was higher? What would it sound like when you say to Zach, dude, like, you got to pull it together. We got to get places on time. How do you address the fact that he can't find his goddamn shoes again? Well, for me, again, it was revisiting my values and saying, I never valued timeliness ever in my entire life. Mm. And it cost me so many relationships and so much repair. And so, Zach, this may not be your issue because you don't have a lifetime of baggage of being extraordinarily late, late and having people be really angry at you about it, including Aunt Jessica. I actually... Ha- Ironically, you're asking me about this. I didn't think we would be talking about this particularly, but we got here. In this instance, I actually had Zach speak to my cousin. Mm -hmm. And she said, your mom caused me so much pain. Mm -hmm. And she told this one story about we were supposed to go away together and her Toyota Camry. I think we're actually leaving to go back to Michigan. And I was maybe six or seven hours late. (gasps) We were supposed to leave in the morning. And she's like, not only does your mom didn't drive then because she was too afraid to drive. I didn't drive because I was a city kid. 
She's like, I had to drive in the dark because of it. We were, you know, I was tired. So she gave all these, these examples. Oh, I of would this. have left without yeah, you. Yeah, she didn't leave without me, but she didn't speak to me for the whole ride. It was not fun. How many hours? <laughs> That's 11 hours. It's <laughs> a long ride. It was a long Did ride. Did you talk the whole way? <laughs> no, we were like in silence and with like a cassette tape. It was like John Gorka was on the radio. I remember we didn't like, I don't know who that is, but I remember him being I don't a folk know who singer. That is. Anyway, so it was, I don't know, the storytelling is a very powerful way to you know, start thinking about and reflecting on what, what how it's, you can say things it's differently. It's a really great tool to be able to give the why. So you can say to your kids or your spouse or to anyone, this is my value system because, and have the story wrap around it. And that gives a rationale for why it's your value system. So you're not saying I'm imposing my value system on you. You're just saying, this is why this is important to me. To except, me. except time. I do think there is sort of a universal value system about time because when we are late, what we are saying is we actually don't value other people's time. And so that one feels like it cuts across all ages, all stages, all relationships. And, and you can a, gamify that. You can say, I'm actually giving yep. you a free value. We're not going to talk about time yep. because that's what we all need to have Correct. because that affects other our relationships with others. And yep. then you can, then now let's talk about your, the ones that you, you specifically right. pick. Because I do think there are, universal values. But again, because we don't, we say things like sharing is caring or kindness, you know, we lose any real understanding of what these words mean. And naming is so important. So what I appreciate What did the repair that. sound like? The mediocre repair that mm -hmm. day? So the good thing about Zach, Ben is different. And so is Anna. There are different stages. But for Zach, he is really at a great, still at that great sweet spot where bedtime is important to him. He likes to, for us to say goodnight. And so that's a very vulnerable time for him still. So it was a time for me to reflect on, you know, the my embarrassment of saying that he was mediocre <laughs> and asking me really thought it like was mediocre. It's like of all the insults. Yeah, it's a pretty bad one. And so... And also, you know, he's like, well, you're acting like a tiger mom. And I was like, how do you even know that word? You know, and I was trying to explain that that's, you know, vaguely racist, even though it was coined by an Asian parent. And we had this whole interesting, we ended up going off on a tangent, but that was the beauty. The other thing I've, I've realized is that sometimes you, it's important to be direct and to, and Lisa Demore talks about this as well, to be direct, to answer, um, to address. You don't need to linger and dwell. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you know, I can't believe I did this to you and, you know, martyr yourself and a million times. I'm really sorry I said that. My emotion was high and my cognition was low. Did you- I'm, I will, I won't, I'm going to really try my best not to do that again. Did you say to him, you know what I realized? That like time is not something I actually used to value. That's and what now the, yes. I, and that, now that I do. That was the storytelling. Right. Yes. So like- but it was during, I wanted to give this setting because I'm not sure he would have been willing to listen to me if I just grabbed him on the way out or I was talking about he was dancing at the bar mitzvah. No, 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 no for yeah, sure. That wait for it, back to what Kara was saying, avoidance is an option to say, well, we can avoid that or sweep that under the rug. But coming back to repair actually takes courage. Yeah. I think for women, maybe not as much, but especially for Seth, he never learned that idea of coming back to repair. A lot of things in his household were swept under the rug. I never learned how to, because it was embarrassing and shameful to admit that you were imperfect. Yeah. And so I was just like, moving on, <laughs> hoping no one noticed that. But it's really powerful to share appropriately 
like the baggage you bring with you into that reaction, right? It's not just that you were stressed and you felt worried about being disrespectful. There was a long history in that relationship that made you feel anxious about being late. And and that works in all relationships. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking about a conversation I had recently with a very close friend and it was a hard conversation. And she came to the conversation with a long list of things that were really hard for her. And after I listened, I told her in a story why I was the way I was, what my value system was. And she I'd never told her before and she never thought about it. And it was a way for both of us to kind of go, oh, oh, and talk about spiritual friendship and and closing the loop on the spiritual. We knew we were spiritual friends for a reason, but sometimes it takes coming to a head to have that conversation where you both acknowledge, whether it's parent, child, whether it's peer, spouse, any dynamic, boss, an employee. I mean, there are so many scenarios in which having that conversation and trying to figure out each person's value system, it does not, there are certain instances which are very clear no's, right? Hard no's and things that cannot be said and should not be said. But in this gray zone of why I said what I said, you know, there's there's a lot of room for healing. And not oversharing. I think, again, the yes. same way you were saying right. earlier, Kara, yes. you know, you make a great distinction between waiting for it when emotion is low and cognition is high versus avoidance, I think the practice of communicating is such that coming to understanding without oversharing is a place that, you know, I mean, I do this for a living. I mediate. I, I All my continuing legal education is in difficult conversations. You know, this is, we're talking about things that are not always a 101 that come intuitively. So it's okay if we don't know how to do these things. I will say I did go out for fun to um, survey over a thousand people, according to my CRM database on Facebook and Instagram, you know, asking people what their most important practice is. And I did it in a very vague way because I was hoping that I could get the stat, what I'm saying today, that not one in 1,000 said to me communication most people said exercise or what do you mean by practice or piano, but we don't look at communication as a practice. We look at it as a means to an end. And that's fundamentally missing the boat on what communication is and the importance of it. And some people are pretty sure they don't like it. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's a that's a very real thing. Right. And some and, people living in our homes. Yeah, okay, yes. okay, like teens. <laughs> Co- yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. And that is such a job of the adult in the life to show the light for community. There are lots of ways to communicate. It doesn't always have to be verbal. So just finding a way to communicate that's effective and not such a heavy lift for you as the individual. And it takes practice. So, so, so much practice. So we like to close with a practical puberty takeaway, which I know you'll appreciate because you love practical takeaways. We'll go first so you have time to think about what you want to say. I think from this conversation, my takeaway is that actually pursuing happiness isn't the goal, that pursuing meaning and purpose will bring us hopefully and bring our kids happiness and will make us better family members, parents, members of a system. So that's my takeaway. And God, I hope my kids find that. I really do. It's like my greatest, I don't care where they go to school I don't care where they live. I just hope they feel like they live meaningful lives. Yeah. Car, what's yours? So mine is the hope that 
finding unicorn space is not a unicorn idea Mm -hmm. in the near future. It shouldn't be uh, revelatory to seek that which brings you to this intersection. And I hope that all generations, not just the adults who have a lot of life experience, but also young evolving tweens and teens are able to start to find that so that in five or 10 or 15 years, a phrase that you have coined is almost something that is a no-brainer. Like, uh, you know, my hair is brown and I have freckles and my unicorn space is this. That to me, that would be real progress. Thank you. This is a really beautiful ending because it feels very meaningful to be here with you. I would say understanding burnout as we started, you know, coming full circle, this idea that we, you know, our kids go through a lot. They have a lot on their plates and that, you know, you can't fix this problem with a walk around the block. You can't fix this problem, you know, by going out for a meal with a friend. You know, the real antidote to burnout is being interested in your own life and the gift of allowing your kids to discover, rediscover, claim that space where that becomes the beacon of their life as opposed to these extrinsic milestones that we put so much value on that actually don't really matter is my my wish. Re-understanding burnout in this way is my wish for, for our listeners today. Beautiful. Thank you, Eve. We loved having you. Oh, so fun. Let's go back to drinking our um, sparkling rosé. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.